Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. And this is another episode in the series Spectrum Analysis. Today, we're talking about accommodation. So, the act of trying to facilitate someone's needs or happiness, and the question of whether or not it ever reaches a point where it's problematic. Yes. So, the reason I wanted to discuss this was I recently read a Facebook post which was criticising the idea that autistic kids should carry different coloured jack-o'-lantern pails on Halloween to identify themselves to people as autistic. And this person thought this was a terrible idea. But I think I'm more on the fence for it. So what, what is your original reaction to me telling you about the idea of sending out autistic kids with a marker on Halloween? I guess it's a question of purpose. I mean, unfortunately, there are probably some parallels to historical times when people were identified and marked. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was in order to try and facilitate prejudice, essentially. Whereas in this scenario, I wonder whether it's more about giving children with autism greater consideration. Now, what those accommodations and considerations are, I'm not 100% sure. I could really sort of think of what those precise needs would be. But I think it is important to recognise individual people's needs. One could argue that sometimes the need should be for all children. So, you know, let's, let's say it's about not yelling or being more considerate. Then I think all children kind of deserve that. But I, again, I think that while the idea of identifying and therefore differentiating children with autism from neurotypical children sounds bad uh, in theory because of the legacy that it carries with it, I think it depends on what the intention is. Yeah, so I don't, like, I don't know what the intention was. I don't know who came up with this idea. But I think one of the, one of the things with a child with an invisible disability as opposed to a visible disability is that sometimes people do misattribute their behaviour. I think we talked about it before, that you have a child with autism who is having sensory overload and strangers walk past going, look at that brat. Mm. Bad parents. Yeah. Give them a smack. Yeah. So the idea of basically making an invisible disability visible if you kind of follow the philosophy that the fact that disability is invisible creates problems... I can see why you'd want to do it. And my assumption is that, like, if you had a autistic child, especially a nonverbal child, or even a really anxious child, mm-hmm. that the act of saying trick or treat might be beyond them. Or if they had to say trick or treat, they might not better go to as many houses because they get overloaded. So if someone opens the door and looks at a child and this child has a a blue pail, and they don't ask that child to say trick-or-treat, then a non-verbal child doesn't have this awkward moment where they're being asked to do something they actually can't, and an anxious child isn't given isn't in this weird moment where a stranger is asking them to, you know, exchange words for candy. Mm. I think the person who was criticising was making the argument that people should just give candy to kids whether they say trick-or-treat or not. Which, yes, I can, I can see that way as well. Like, that that's kind of accommodating everyone by, ex- like, treating everyone like it might be a big deal for them to say trick-or-treat, so you just give them lollies no matter what they do. 
but yeah, I wasn't as upset by this as the person who was posting against it. Yeah, and I think this is something that's come up a lot. Uh, I don't know if it's in the podcast, but certainly in life, where it's a question of whose obligation is it to change. So the person who criticised it had a valid argument, is that society and neurotypical people should be adapting their behaviour in order to accommodate the needs of people with uh, who are neuroatypical. But at the same time, people who are neuroatypical need to recognise that not everyone is necessarily going to be educated, not everyone necessarily wants to be educated, and so it's about making it their job easier, or giving someone who is neurotypical an opportunity to demonstrate their consideration. And so, by putting a subtle signal, you know, not a not a big sandwich board wrapped around the kid's neck saying, I'm autistic, but just something really subtle like that allows for the neurotypical person to take that opportunity to either demonstrate their consideration or demonstrate that they don't have a consideration and maybe take it as a learning opportunity if possible. So I think that it's it's not reasonable either way. I think there has to be kind of a balance where both parties have to come together to try and work on a solution that works for each of them. And I think the blue power thing is subtle. I think it's a, it's a nice little movement that... Um, that is enough of a signal to recognise that's a difference, but not so much that it is, you know, a, a blaring horn saying, I'm autistic. Which yeah. autistic person probably wouldn't appreciate that blaring horn. No. But there, look, there, there are probably people who would argue, well, then if your child doesn't like trick-or-treating, why, or it has, there's the risk that, you know, they're going to have negative encounters, why not just take them out of it entirely? And that's not a valid argument either. Because the thing is, is that... There is a significant difference between wanting to do something versus being anxious about certain elements of it. And so a child may want to trick-or-treat. They like the idea of spending time with their friends or getting dressed up or getting lollies. Like, that might just be the thing that they want and they should have every right to do it. And if that's an experience that they're seeking, just because they experience anxiety at certain elements of it doesn't mean they should be excluded from it. So it's about finding ways to facilitate that experience in a way that is friendly for them. And again, this should be just a human consideration. It shouldn't matter whether the person has autism or not. It should be that if anyone is having difficulty, if they had a physical difficulty, if they had an emotional difficulty, we should be at least trying to make room, to try and help them to be able to meet their desires and get what they want, because we would want the same thing. Yeah. Is there any times where you're glad the boy's disability is invisible? I don't really think about it, to be honest. And maybe it's because I often kind of make it visible, I guess. I Mm. think... Which this would be a case of making it visible. Like, this is along the same lines for me as telling the teacher that they have autism. Yeah. And that and that I like. Like that's I, I'm fully in support of uh, advising people in their lives that they do have autism. And I think particularly because it is invisible that their expectations may not be set correctly. So mm. we've talked. We had a whole episode about expectations. But as a recap, when your expectations are set too high, you're at a greater risk of disappointment. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or or reacting in a way that is surprised. Whereas if your expectations are set at a reasonable level, you won't be nearly as surprised or you won't react in an instinctive or reactive kind of way. And so that's why, for me, I think it's important that the kids 
uh, teachers and anyone significant in their lives is aware of the diagnosis, is aware that while on the surface, Jake and Matt uh, interact with them well and play well and can achieve a lot of things, there are going to be moments that are going to make them feel really anxious and really mm. upset. And, uh, you know, these these key people need to be prepared for that. They don't necessarily need to make accommodations in advance because it's not always necessary. But at the same time, they need to be aware that sometimes they, they can't just approach Jake and Matt's problems in the same way they would a neurotypical child. Sometimes a little bit more consideration um, or a unique tactic needs to be applied in order to make sure that they are feeling emotionally stable. Yeah, so like last week we went back to school in Victoria, finally and hopefully permanently. <laughs> mm. And without needing to even ask for it, accommodations were kind of made for particularly Jake because it was identified that this was a situation that would be harder for him than a lot of the other kids. That he wasn't in the exact same situation as, like all, that all 700 kids come to school are not in the same situation. Mm. And I don't think I can find that level of accommodation offensive in any way. Like, I feel like that's what I want. I want to make the invisible disability known so that he gets the help he needs. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there is there is somewhat of a counter-argument, and unfortunately, I think it might be confusing life with podcasts, because I remember there was a patient of mine uh, years and years and years and years ago who had ADD, and he told me that he was really uh, sad that he had the diagnosis, not because of the diagnosis itself, but because people treated him differently. So no one ever pushed him to to do more or be better. It, it was almost like people were too accommodating. They were giving him too much leeway and not really trying to encourage him to be his best version. And I thought that was a really sad but interesting take on the situation. And every now and then I worry about that with Jake and Matt because I, I want to give them... Uh, the easiest life. I, I'll be honest, I'm a snowplow parent. I like being a snowplow parent. It's, it's just my mentality. But I do also recognise that sometimes they just need that little bit of a push. That their inherent anxiety of new things or unfamiliar things may be the barrier to them engaging in something that they really enjoy. So, for example, um, Jake currently does a gymnastics class every week. And his teacher recently uh, told me that he would be a really excellent candidate for the acrobatics team because he's, he's strong and he's good at following instructions and he's got good mobility. When I offered it to him, he said no. But that's what he does with anything different. As soon as it's anything out of his comfort zone that he's not familiar with, his immediate reaction is no. But I managed to, you know, convince him to at least observe a class so I certainly didn't force him to do anything because that's not the style and I don't think that's appropriate. But at the same time, I kind of recognised there that if I had just accommodated him, if I just conceded to his wishes, he might be missing out on something based off a lack of information. But it's really hard to find that balance. It is. And I guess there is a difference between accommodating... Like, what you were talking about with that guy, I think would be probably discrimination by low expectations, mm. which is something that comes up with, I guess, women and some racial groups, especially here, the indigenous community, mm. where it's kind of like, oh yeah, you're, you're this thing, so you're not going to want to do science or 
you're not going to go to university because no one in your family's gone to university. Yeah. So I, I feel like what you're talking about there doesn't just apply to disabled people, but I can definitely see how it could end up in that situation, and I understand why you would be worried about that. I guess, like... I guess that is when it becomes problematic. If accommodation becomes exclusion. Mm. That, you know, it's like making a way for them to have a better time trick-or-treating is not the same as saying, oh, you're autistic, you can't trick-or-treat. Yeah. Or, you know, oh, you're too anxious to do this. Don't don't even try. Um, so I think, like, with our kids, we've had accommodation. It's not... Like, it's like, oh, you know, it's going to be hard for you to go back to school from remote learning. So now we're homeschooling you. <laughs> mm. It was more, how do we do this? And it was the same with gymnastics. I think we've spoken about at the start. We couldn't get him to go to a mainstream gymnastics class. But we got him to go to a ASD specific gymnastics class. And that was enough accommodation to get him to the point where he was confident enough to go to a mainstream class. Mm. So, yeah, I think the Blue Pails and the ASD-specific class would fit more into the accommodation to find a path that works for them to get to the end, rather than the low expectations to say, no, this path is not for you. Like, because you have this disability, this is not your path. Yeah. Um, And I think with uh, more, I guess, visible disabilities, like being in a wheelchair, there's a lot of amazing wheelchair athletes Mm. who have not been told oh you're in a wheelchair you can never play tennis or you can never do this you can never do that these people have found a path through and i remember um listening to a podcast where they're talking about so um a girl with cp and she sort of flourished in little athletics because it's all about beating your personal best Mm. not winning the race Mm. So that sport worked for her uh, because it accommodated to her. And also, like the, like, the Paralympic ratings of abilities is really complicated and really sophisticated. Mm. Um, I don't really understand it, but it's awesome that it exists. Yeah. <laughs> that you can get a category and be put into the right category so that you can still push yourself to achieve something rather than be told, this isn't for you. Yeah, absolutely. And... I think that, as with everything in life, it's about moderation. It's about finding that kind of middle ground. And from a parenting perspective, I think it's particularly tricky because um, there are parents out there, I mean, even taking disability of any sort out of the equation, I'm sure there are parents out there whose kids have unique skills, um, sporting, academic, musical, creative, whatever. And knowing how hard to push a child how much of their resistance is them being a child versus how much of their resistance is genuine dissatisfaction in the activity, I think is is a really universal kind of question. It really just kind of shows that the experience of being a parent of a child with autism is not necessarily completely foreign. It's something that we should all really be thinking about. Like, I remember growing up, I was a classic Asian child and I learned the piano. I'm not 100% sure why. I think I just did it because every other Asian parent thought, ooh, you know, creative arts makes you smarter. And maybe it does. But And I enjoyed piano up until a point. 
they got to a point where the pressure got too much for me. And I, I, I realize now as an adult, anxiety is, was a big, is a big thing for me. Like it's a big barrier for me achieving a lot of things. Like I, I didn't, I don't sit exams very well. I just don't test very well. But in practice, if nobody's watching me, I can do a really good job. Uh, but the thing was, is that I stopped enjoying piano and the thing, but my parents kept wanting me to do it. They kept pushing me to try and achieve further and further. Luckily, it got to year seven and I was, I'd been doing it for about four or five years at that point. Uh, and I hated it. Like I, I didn't want to practice. I, I, I was miserable doing it. And I managed to convince my parents that my workload was too high at school and I didn't have enough time for piano. So it was a touch manipulative, but it was, it was still the fact that the only way I felt that I could get out of something that made me miserable was to make up an excuse that fit within sort of the parameters of what my parents thought achievement was. And I am always kind of wary that I don't want to push Jake and Matt into that scenario. I want them to achieve. I want them to commit. Mm. Like, I worry that Matt's a very flaky kind of person who won't commit to something unless he's pushed. And that's not 100% true. He can be pretty good when he wants to be. Um, But at the same time, the question is, how hard do you push? Even this most recent weekend. So over the weekend, it was the first weekend after the kids had started back at school. And their extracurriculars hadn't actually started up again. But the classes they were offered were offered online alternatives. But this weekend, we talked about just giving them the weekend off. Just saying, okay, this weekend, it's been a really tough week. Lots of adjustment. Let's just take the week off, the weekend off and maybe we'll pick it up again next week. But internally for me, there was the conflict of, should I be pushing them more just so that they don't feel like they can get out of it just because they don't feel like it? Or should I accept that it was a hard week for them emotionally and physically, and therefore I should just cut them some slack. Yeah. Like, yeah, it can be, it can be a hard thing to work out. So talking about the idea of the discrimination of low expectations, I think that happens a lot uh, for the the kind of patients that I see. So the ones with uh, intellectual disability as well as a developmental disability. It's quite common, unfortunately, that the expectation on people like that to simply just sit in the corner and be good. Mm. Uh, So I have an example of a patient I saw recently who was unfortunately being loud and aggressive with a lot of people. And the, the staff who were looking after her were asking for a way to try and make her calm down, right? But as I broke it down, as I asked more questions, what I determined was actually she was just really bored, right? So whenever she was engaged in activities, so when staff paid attention to her, uh, entertained her by, you know, participating in crafts or took her out in, you know, within the COVID lockdown restrictions, um, took her out into the community or around the block or whatever, she was fine, as soon as she um, was taken out of that stimulating environment, she started, in inverted commas, acting up. And so, rather than going, oh, let's just give her some medication, I said, get her out more. Find a way to get her more stimulated. Give her more attention. But the problem there is that there just wasn't enough facilities. Like, there weren't enough staff. They were looking after multiple clients. Um, But this woman deserved and needed some adequate mental and physical stimulation. And so... And, you know, until I pointed that out, none of them had ever thought of that. So they were looking to make her accommodate their needs when actually it should have been their job to accommodate her needs. And if they weren't able to do it, that's understandable. They're not 
superheroes. They're not magicians. So then we had to sort of think about what her NDIS funding was like, think about, um, you know, what other services are available, how they could occupy her. So give her the kind of things that she needs to feel good. Because any every person is entitled to feeling good. But unfortunately, when it comes to people who are in full-time care, there's this expectation that, yeah, their, their needs are less than. They just, they don't need as much as other people do, or they kind of, they, they're not entitled to ask for what they want. But all this person wanted, all she wanted was love and attention, you know? Yeah, like, I th- that makes me think of sort of like the flip side of that, which is um, schools and kids with ADD specifically, mm. where you have situations where preps are being suspended. Like, why would you suspend a prep? <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I acknowledge that both their situations probably involve funding. As you said, like, if if, it, if this woman needed one-on-one stimulation all the time, I imagine the funding wasn't there for it. Yeah. Um, and the problem with ADD is there's no NDIS funding because it's not a disability. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Which ADD is ridiculous. Should, should be recognised as a developmental condition that requires assistance that isn't necessarily medication. Yeah, but the Disability Royal Commission is looking into the treatment of ADD students at the moment. Mm. So, and yeah, like the stories are, as a previous um, disability commissioner who I saw interviewed said, shocking but not surprising. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That these things are happening and these very small children are being basically labelled as behaving badly. And they they need the system to accommodate them. Mm. And, yeah, it's not one size fits all. Like, it's not the same as, I guess, Halloween. But Mm. you you do need a level of accommodation. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you just have to not take it too far. And I think... And it also made me think of the situation of that poor woman who... I think she had intellectual disability and CP who was left in the same seat for, like, months. And, like... Obviously, there was some lack of expectation of her to do anything, so no one noticed the fact that she'd been sitting in a seat, like a single seat for months, and then she died of, like, malnutrition. Mm. Um, And, yeah, like, if we expect... Yeah, like, it's kind of when you said that they were expected to just sit in the corner, and I'm like, well, we should also question, why is that person just still sitting in that corner of that one room in their house? Like, are they actually being looked after? Yeah. So, yeah, like, these people need help and care. I think one of the terms that I despise in, in the field of disability is attention-seeking. I hate it. Because it, it's a term that is quite negative and implies that there's no intent behind the attention. So if I'm waving at you, that's me attention-seeking. Because I want your attention because I'm trying to get you to tell you something, right? So when a person with intellectual disability or developmental disability is calling out, they're not just doing it for fun. It's not a symptom of their intellectual disability. The reason why they're doing it is because they want your attention for a reason. There's something that they need. Now, it, again, it might be that they're bored. It might be that they're in pain. It might be um, that they've, they've soiled themselves or, or they want to change clothes or something along those lines. But it really frustrates me because this is the time when accommodation is really important. Being able to facilitate someone's needs or giving them the tools to be able to communicate their needs in a way that is effective and direct, I think is really important. And so many people are terrified of 
acknowledging what they determine as attention-seeking behavior. Because as soon as you tell someone that it's attention-seeking behavior, the immediate response from most people is, I'll just ignore them and they'll stop it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, they might stop it, because then they might just be disappointed by the world and decide that no one's going to respond to their needs, which is not what the outcome that we want. But when people have communication barriers or they have um, an intellectual disability that makes their ability to communicate difficult or harder to interpret, it's really easy for people who aren't familiar with them, who don't understand them, to go, oh, well, you're just attention-seeking, so I'm not going to give you what you want, which is rubbish. Yeah. I think we have to stop saying (laughs) attention-seeking. I'll sign a petition with you. <laughs> uh, it's, it, I, don't, I don't know whether it's old world thinking or not. I think it's just, um, it's just, it's just an easy label. When, you know, people, when people don't understand something, just, they, they like to find a, a name for it and to, to put it aside. Yeah, it's almost like they've extended control crying for babies into everything when it comes to intellectually disabled people. Yeah. Yeah, I guess talking about labels. So this this started off as a, a conversation about whether you know uh, a blue pail puts a label on a child. I I know there are a number of people out there who dislike labels in general, and to some degree I understand that because once again it depends on the intent. If the intent of a label is to isolate and exclude people, yes, agreed. Labels are not okay. But for me, as a person with autism, the label of autism made me feel really good because it gave me a framework. It made me feel like I understood myself better than I ever did before. And I kind of want the world to accommodate me a little bit, to be honest. I recently had a very, very, very negative social interaction with someone where I was basically yelled at for what I felt to be no good reason. And part of me really wanted to say, hey... I have autism here. Can you just be a little bit nicer and be a bit, you know, kinder than you would normally be? But then I feel guilty about that. I feel guilty about wanting to ask for people to give me special consideration. And and look, this is, for me, an internal conflict. I don't know whether other people with autism have the same kind of thing. This idea of, I I want people to know I have autism, but I don't want to be defined by my autism. Yes. In that situation, you probably could have just said, I'm a human being. Can you start treating me like a human being? (laughs) Maybe. But people don't listen to that. People don't listen to... Because otherwise, we wouldn't be doing any of the nonsense that we were doing to each other these days. But sometimes the label helps people get some perspective. If for some reason it turns on a switch in their brain. Which is why for for Jake and Matt, I think it's a useful label because... It just, even if people don't understand the full extent of it, what the term autism does is it makes them go, oh, I need to reevaluate what I'm doing. I need to make sure that what I'm doing is suitable for their needs. Whereas if all I said to them was that, oh, you know, Jake and Matt are just anxious kids, then they might treat them a little differently. They, they, it'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, but you can push through anxiety a little bit or you can teach them stuff. And, and again, not to say you can't teach people with autism techniques, but it's just not going to be quite as effective. Well, there's a risk that it might not be because there are so many inherent things that come with autism that you can't overcome them all. So what you then do is you just take a more gentler approach. You take a step back. And you you give them the space and the time of day, but you still might apply the same thing, but just in a slightly different way. And that's what it is. It's about just being considerate of one another. And if a label helps you understand that or helps you take it more seriously, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think no, like 
also knowing people's individuals. And I guess the, the thing with the pale situation is it's not people who know you. Like, I think when it comes to someone who knows you, you kind of want them to treat you like a complete person. Yeah. And understand you, whether or not you have a disability. Whereas I think when it comes to a stranger, sometimes you just kind of need to shorthand it. Mm. I think with the Halloween thing, I was thinking, like, you know, we don't want to label the kids as, you know, I might not want to say triple treat because I have autism, so I'm carrying this blue bucket. But the house has labelled themselves as, I don't want to have someone come to my door. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't just go, oh no. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, people shouldn't have to label themselves. Like, the fact that people, people who want trick-or-treaters decorate, and people who don't want trick-or-treaters don't decorate, and the people who don't decorate get left alone, because that's what they want, is just, in a way, labelling and accommodating. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so I guess, again, the ultimate question is, does accommodation ever become problematic? And I think sometimes it does, but rarely. I think overall, being willing to accommodate someone for their needs uh, individually, I think, is always going to be a question worth asking. And yes, it takes time. And yes, it takes energy. But it's, it's valuable time and energy. It's time well spent trying to make someone else just feel a little bit more comfortable. Because what happens is that anxiety is a barrier to, you know, a much deeper well of personality and interests. And, you know, if you can help someone with a disability or with autism get past that, you can discover some wonderful things about them. But you just have to be willing to find ways to let them get past that anxiety. Because I think that's that's it for me sometimes. Sometimes I enter social situations and the person I present as is the anxious person. It's the guy who's so nervous about talking to a new person, doesn't know what to do, that you don't really get to see the full me. But as soon as you see me, as soon as I'm ready to come out, I am full of energy and and I am bright and weird and say, you know, funny things. But you wouldn't know that from the anxious version of me. Yes. So, I think, like, it's not a perfect rule, but I feel like, from this discussion, accommodating that helps someone achieve a goal is normally pretty good. Whereas accommodation that excludes someone from something is problematic. Yeah. Like, as I said, not perfect rule, but I think that rule would apply to most, if not, in most situations. Mm. Yeah, so that would be kind of my advice. If you're thinking about it, it's like, okay, so basically I just assume this person will not be involved and I'm excluding them because they have a disability. You might want to rethink that. Yeah. Whereas if you're going, okay, this is harder for this one kid than this other kid. Um, And like often comparing it to visible um, disabilities can be good. Like, you know, it's like, okay, so... This set of stairs is harder for this person in the wheelchair. Like, yeah, it's the shorthand. Is the is the shorthand? Yeah. It's like yeah. So you know, you can't see the set of stairs for autistic kids. Like it's in it's kind of in their mind the set of stairs that they're trying to go up. Yeah. Um, but they all, they do need some help. But leaving them at the bottom of the stairs and going don't even bother is problematic. I'd say. And it doesn't even necessarily require that much effort either. Like in because the thing is is that the blue pail is something that they need in that moment. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't mean that it represents them as an entirety. All you need to do is by seeing the blue pail, you just don't force them into a social interaction. Mm-hmm. You don't insist that they do things. You you you're welcome to try, 
by all means do so, but they don't respond, don't get mad at them, don't make jokes, don't belittle them for it, just go, okay, moving on. Yeah. And and that's that's it. It's not even particularly difficult. You just have... But if if people, if the parents of the children with autism with this blue pail can just give, again, give that little signal, mm-hmm. it like like the wheelchair being signal as, oh, okay, you can't get up these stairs. It's just that little extra step, and it means you don't have to have a big discussion about it. Yes, because I guess the alternate alternative would be, like, one of us standing next to them going, oh, they have autism, like, at every house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which sometimes we have to do, oh, they have autism. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, a, a visual sign that they have autism saves us from just randomly saying to anyone who looks uncomfortable, they have autism, which people could be offended by because they're like, I'm fine with it. Like, I mean, yeah, like you've just assumed that I'd not be okay with this autism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's end it there. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening. Uh, make sure you look for us, uh, on Facebook and Instagram at the atypical rainbow, uh, and subscribe wherever you get good podcasts to those of you who celebrate Halloween. Happy Halloween for this coming weekend. I yes. Think whatever form it ends up being. <laughs> yes, indeed. So for Victorians, stay at home for everyone else. Enjoy your dress up and we'll talk to you next time.